Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. It is Thursday the 31st as we are recording this, which means uh, happy All Hallowsween. Yes, yes. That is the original name for it, in case you were wondering, (laughs) uh, before it was changed, before it was, uh, you know, bastardized bastardized into Halloween. Uh, so it's Halloween. You'll be hearing this on Friday, which is important because uh, we've got a couple things to talk about that are time sensitive for uh, the day that this comes out. But before we do that, let's just jump into some general news and updates from some stories that we've been covering for a little bit. Last week, we talked about the uh, Door County Maritime Museum's lighthouse tower proposal, and they have a date for the groundbreaking now. Yeah. So last week, we mentioned that they had gotten a $1 million uh, pledge from the Crest Foundation. And now they've announced that they have a a ceremonial groundbreaking on November 13th to start the construction process. Uh, I guess they've raised enough money that they're ready to start. A lot of times people uh, or organizations raise something like 80% of their goal, and then they start, and then they continue fundraising to get that final 20%, but they'll start construction when they're a significant portion of the way along, and that seems to be what the Maritime Museum is doing. Cool. Uh, if you want to learn more about like the breadth of the proposal, definitely check out the podcast last week. But this is basically a, uh, a tower that they're building next to the Maritime Museum in Sturgeon Bay. That's going to kind of be this really cool like outlook so you can see over the city, and it will uh, it'll serve as more museum space for the museum. They're going to fill it with different things, uh, educational things about the maritime history of Sturgeon right. Bay. Right. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, it should be pretty cool. Next up, uh, the county board set some new sign rules. I'm particularly interested in this because signage is something that I've always like been fascinated with the different rules for what you can do for signage. Uh, tell me, tell me what's up with the county. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the different rules about what you can do for signage. When I when we first started our business back when I was in high school and my brother and I had a little pizza place, we just put up a sign, and then we found out you can't just do that. You actually have to get your sign approved. And right. you know, being sixteen year old idiots, we didn't know that. And then you actually have to go in in most communities go through with like a, a color swatch and match, like, the approved color schemes that are available. Hmm. Um, Well, I knew that there were, like, size restrictions and how many you could have and which ones could be permanent and which ones could be temporary, and there's different things like that. But I didn't know that you had to, like, make it look like the other signs in the town as well. Not necessarily that it had to look like them, but it's just, like, they didn't want... You know, back in the 80s, there was this huge fear of Door County becoming the Dells, you know, basically... Anything new qualifies as becoming the Dells in Door County to most people. Sure. But one of the things was neon signs and certain backlit signs and a lot of these kind of brighter suburban anywhere USA style signage techniques or, or, or styles. So what they did is a lot of people came up with pretty intricate sign ordinances to kind of control that, which I think was for the better. And in the year since, they've kind of peeled that back a little bit. Sister Bay has peeled theirs back a little bit to try and find a middle ground. But 
the county of Door, in that same time period in the 1990s, there was a big push even to ban billboards in the county. There was an attempt to do that because they were starting to pop up all over, and then it was starting to kind of look like what was this beautiful rural, rural can't say that word, roadway um, and corridors of Door County were getting dotted with billboards. So Bob Hastings at the time in the 90s as head of the Door County Chamber of Commerce actually really stuck his neck out on this issue and tried to get them banned. was unsuccessful, but the, the county did get some pretty stringent regulations put on billboards and roadside signage and limited the growth of them. And I, I believe if I have this correct, I've talked to Mariah Good a lot about this. She's the head of the planning department there. They've for a long time been able to hold the line so there were no new billboards. People could still continue to use the existing ones and upgrade them to some degree, but they couldn't couldn't like have this big swath of, of new ones or for the most part in, in places with county zoning, you couldn't put up like an LED billboard or, or backlit sure. one. What's the new rules? So there was a lawsuit a couple of years ago. There's a lawsuit that went to the Supreme Court. It was uh, Reed versus the town of Gilbert in Arizona. This lawsuit, basically, the, the resulting decision basically said, if you have to read a sign to determine how to regulate it, something is wrong with your regulations. So that's how Mariah Good described it. So basically, it's like a sign company challenged the idea that you could regulate what was on a sign because that could be called limiting free speech. Okay. So you couldn't regulate it based on the language on the sign and stuff. So a lot of sign rules were written in a way that could be interpreted that way, so they could be challenged and sort of thrown out. So what the County of Door has done is rewrite theirs so it's a little clearer um, that it's they're not trying to regulate the speech of it, but that they're just trying to regulate the size. So specifically, the county's new ordinance bans animated signs, flashing signs, or signs that scroll or flash text or graphics. That excludes like government signs and traffic signals. It also bans inflatable signs, mechanical movement signs, reflective or mirrored signs, obscene signs, signs on the roof of a building, signs that emit smoke. There's a, a kind of a laundry list of these things. Signs that emit smoke? Yep. So That's a thing? I guess it is. I guess it is. <laughs> they also list vapors, particulate matter, sounds, odors, or open flames. A sign that's on fire? Yeah, I mean... This is wild. That, I would think that'd be a different problem, but yes. Right. <laughs> so my first question, I guess, would be like, what about signs that don't fit within this policy that are already established? Would they be grandfathered in, or are those signs subject to change? Yeah, already established signs would be grandfathered in. If somebody's already invested in build something, it's really hard to go back and pull that off the marketplace. So that's really how all the existing signs in the county are there now. They were in before the ordinances took effect. So they've all stayed since then. And basically, for a long time, there was a rule that you couldn't you couldn't make substantial upgrades to those signs. But now that's kind of in flux too. A lot of people might wonder like, oh, it seems like Neswapi has a lot of new signs. They're not in county zoning, so they're not impacted by this. Neswapi does not have that zoning. So that's why you see a lot of of signs down there. In fact, you see, I think the Red Rocket might have something like eight or nine different signs as you go south out of the county now. They were really impacted when they moved the highway 15 or 20 years ago. They're obviously trying to get people to, to stop back in there, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of Red Rocket signs now. I have no idea where Neswapi is, so it definitely was impacted by the highway being moved. <laughs> Neswapi is uh, basically south of Sturgeon Bay on the highway. Like Once you get past Target, a little bit past there, you're in Neswapi. Huh. It's a township. So 
So there weren't there weren't a lot of signs that really like like Door County wasn't having a big signage problem before these rules were rewritten. I know that signage is always a concern for people because you know you don't want all these like light up signs and stuff. But some of the things that you were mentioning definitely sounded like above and beyond what I'd even ever seen proposed. Like yeah, they're mostly like I haven't seen any start on fire, but <laughs> they might be referring to like all right, if you have a sign that might have like a fireplace built into it, you know. It's like the landmark billboard. Uh, as you go into Egg Harbor, do you have you familiar with the one that's on Highway 42? If I saw it, yes, I'd probably recognize it's it. It's kind of built to look like a little house okay. on the highway um, at Hillside Road. And then as you go south out of Egg Harbor, Egg Harbor is really the, the northernmost town that has a lot of um, billboard and roadside signage. And these are all, like the big problem is off-premise signs. Like you're allowed certain signage as long as it's on your property and and you're right up to the road. What they were trying to limit is just someone blanketing the county with all these different signage. You know, there's a lot of business owners who just refuse to do billboards, even though they probably are a pretty decent way to advertise your business. But I know a lot of longtime business owners have always said, no, I'm just not going to be part of that. I'm not going to be the guy who does that. It seems to me that I've just noticed like a lot more businesses buying up the old billboards and things like that. Maybe that indicates that people are not as attuned to that fear. You know, in the 90s, it, there was a really a, a big backlash to it. But the county's trying to come up to code, and it, I think you might see, it's like individual villages have their own sign codes. So, like, this doesn't impact Sister Bay. Sister Bay has their own sign rules. Different the town. county doesn't supersede the town? No, no. <laughs> county only rules only apply to the, those places that don't have their own zoning. So, like, Sister Bay has its own zoning. So they regulate themselves. Same with the, the city of Sturgeon Bay, village of Egg Harbor, that sort of thing. But I would guess you'll see those other towns reevaluate their side ordinances too to try and make sure they're up to code because Link, the billboard company, they have a little wrap at the bottom of every billboard throughout the county. They've kind of stretched the rules there too in trying to like, they used to have small little signs at the bottom and now they've made these big wraps at the bottom of their billboards that take up a lot more space. And there is concern that what they're trying to do is just kind of like extend the size of the billboard kind of stealthily do that and then maybe at some point just kind of argue that oh that's the existing billboard and now we can make bigger signs right um link obviously doesn't really care what happens in door county they're a national conglomerate based in georgia most of the people who make the money from link are never going to see door county so they don't really it's just this is just product for them to turn so you know there's there's a, a little concern that if they don't update those sign ordinances now you could face lawsuits from a big company like link that you know, has deep pockets and big resources, you know, these, some of these smaller towns and villages don't want to, you know, they don't want to be caught up in even having to spend 10 or 20 or $30,000 fighting one of these. And that's what it can very quickly become. A couple of the things that I want to talk about real quick, right before we go to break. A couple of weeks ago, maybe even last week, you had the opportunity to sit down with a couple of folks from the Door County Medical Center. Yeah. Brian Stevens, the CEO of Door County Medical Center came up here and uh, joined us in the podcast booth here. And just, we went through a a long list of information regarding the Affordable Care Act, uh, really based on the fact that the healthcare.gov open enrollment starts November 1st. Right, so, so that is today as you are hearing this podcast. Yeah. So a lot of people are probably getting their re-enrollment information in the mail. I just got mine for the second year in a row. My premiums actually went down. And Door County Medical Center has, is, for those who have not gotten insurance through the exchange yet or have a lot of questions, they're holding a bunch of sessions. I think there's three different sessions where they have experts there to kind of walk you through the process and help you figure out the exchange and either help you sign up or just answer your questions and you go home and evaluate it on your own. 
But um, if you can listen to that podcast or go to um, their website, you'll find information on when all those sessions are. It's just a, just a reminder that open enrollment's here. Yeah, and it's a, it's a reminder that I definitely needed because I thought that healthcare rolled around at the turn of the year. So I thought open enrollment was in January. Yeah, you were incorrect. Well, good to know. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I'm 26, so I just got off my mom's health insurance. Um, she has mm. really great health insurance through the state of Minnesota, um, so I finally am off her health insurance, unfortunately. Uh, they kicked me off coverage October 1st. If I had known that November 1st was open enrollment, uh, I might have played my options out a little bit better <laughs> than I did, but uh, uh, definitely good information to have. Welcome to the glorious land of adulthood of poking your eyes out, digging through insurance premiums. I know, awesome, right? Uh, One more thing before we jump into our break. Uh, We have a couple of events that are coming up. Registration is opening for a bunch of stuff, including the Door County Half Marathon. And uh, there's a a run, a one-barrel run that's happening this year. Is that new this year? Yeah, we uh, are working with One Barrel Brewing Company to put on a run on Holly Days weekend. uh, That's Thanksgiving weekend in Egg Harbor on November 30th, on that Saturday following Thanksgiving. So it's a marathon of sorts. It is a 2.62-mile run. So a normal marathon is 26.2. So it's the 2.62 mile marathon. Uh, It'll end at uh, One Barrel Brewing Company. You get a great shirt. You get to hang out. It starts at 10 a.m. Nice late start. So you can uh, you don't have to roll out of bed too early. And then holidays is going on in Egg Harbor. And they'll be watching college football in the tap room all day. So it should be a fun day in Egg Harbor on the 30th. And registration now has just gone to... $30, $30, but you get a lot for that $30. So um, if you're looking for something to do with your family, my, my family always does a run either um, whenever I've gone down to my sister's house down in Chicago, we always do a run on Thanksgiving with all the kids. And there is a, a kid's price too. I think it's $15 for kids to run it. Um, they get hot chocolate at the end. Adults get a beer. So, so this is not a turkey trial. There's no turkeys given out at the there, end. There are no turkeys. And we aren't giving away any penguins either. That would be probably against some rules. Yeah, I would, I would assume so. The only race I ever did was a turkey trot, and I won a turkey, and it felt real good. <laughs> so I've done, um, like, turkey trots, and I get you get, like, a pumpkin pie at the end. Yeah. I mean, I like pumpkin pie, but not enough that I want another pumpkin pie because everyone's got pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. Right. Just don't need more Sara Lee pies in my belly. That's fair. It worked out really great for me because uh, we had a turkey with my in-laws, and then my parents came up, and we got to eat my race turkey. So nice. Definitely worked out. Uh, Much one, leaner, more in shape turkey. Right. Definitely. I, I earned it for sure. Uh, it's not just because there was only one other person in my age bracket. <laughs> I definitely trained and won and earned it for sure. Um, and then one other thing, too. Uh, tickets are on sale for the Door County Wine Fest or, or are coming up. Are they on sale now? Yeah, they go on sale today, actually. Uh, Door County Wine Festival, it'll be back in Sturgeon Bay again in 2020. That's on June 27th. VIP tickets and general admission tickets are on sale. Last year, the VIP tickets sold out really fast. It's down at Sunset Park, which is just an awesome venue for the event. Um, I know in past years... They had bounced between around Egg Harbor, tried a few different formats. Uh, last year began working with uh, our group at the Peninsula Pacers to try and come up with a, a better venue and better um, setup for it. And I think last year, all the guests went away really happy, mainly because that, that part, if you haven't been to Sunset Park, it's right on the water down in Sturgeon Bay. Uh, I was down there for the Fall 50 last week. Beautiful sunset right there. It's really like especially for those from Northern Door who maybe have never gone there, try and, and catch it. It's just north of the shipyards. It's a really cool spot that, that, like, if you don't live in Sturgeon Bay, you probably just don't 
aren't aware that it's it's down there. But yeah, so we do the wine fest there. DoorCountyTickets.com is where you can get the tickets. Yeah, what is DoorCountyTickets.com, Miles? That is a great question, Andrew. That's where you can get tickets to all the best events in Door County. God, I wish that we did ad reads like that. that yeah. We just segued <laughs> right into them. Uh, DoorCountyTickets.com is pretty cool. It's been going on for, is this the second year? Yeah, it's been running? about two years. Uh, maybe, maybe three years, actually. We, we used to do an ad for it, but I don't know that we've ever really talked about it. Door County Tickets is your one-stop shop for what? Door County Beer Festival tickets are on sale at DoorCountyTickets.com. Those who are on sale at the end of the month on Black Friday. Things like the Door County Wine Fest, but also things like the Door County Lighthouse Tours. Max Walton Braze and Time Cuisine do a lot of events through Door County Tickets. You can still get tickets to the special evening with Michael Perry for Right on Door County um, on November 6th. There are still just a few tickets left for that. That's going to be at the Crest Pavilion. It's just kind of a, a one-stop shop for... Door County event tickets. You know, a lot of places that have worked with us to sell their tickets through that. We do emails uh, to a, a growing, ever-growing email list of, of people who have taken part in some of these events. And you're just marketed to a lot of people who are interested in what's going on in Door County. So it's a, a great way to get your event in front of other people who are interested in doing Door County things. Well, that sounds like an ad break to me. Why don't we uh, Why don't we move on? I think that that pretty much covers our ad for this week. Uh, definitely check out Door County Tickets if you're interested in some upcoming stuff. Uh, we have a couple more things that I want to talk about this week to kind of round out the the episode. Um, room tax numbers came out. Tell me if we're up or down. We are up. Room tax returns through August 31st are up 4%. There's still some late reporting lodging entities that their numbers will still come in. Uh, kind of trickle in over a couple of months. The Door County Tourism Zone has to track those people down and make sure they report. So that number might go up like a 0.1% or something like that. But yeah, on the whole, right now we're up 4% on the year. August was really good. July was actually kind of flat in the county um, and as far as room tax returns go. But the other months have more than made up for that. So trying to think of what the, the top one is Gibraltar, as which is usually the case. Number two is the city of Sturgeon Bay. Number three is the village of Sister Bay. And most of those counties uh, are seeing 4 to 5% increases. Sturgeon Bay, I think, is up about 5% um, for the year so far. Interesting. Uh, we talked to John Jarsh from the Door County Visitor Bureau a while back on the podcast. And that, that's a really great episode if you really want to dig into the numbers and learn more about the, the history of room tax, but also what room tax allows the Door County Visitor Bureau to do in terms of marketing Door County. Um, but we talked with him, and we really kind of nerded out about the numbers. So if you're interested in that, definitely check that episode out for sure. It's cool to definitely see that that growth. And 4% is not a small amount when you think about how much money is coming in overall. No, no. By the end of the year, they'll end up being about $5 million in room tax revenues coming into the county. Right now, we're at about 3 A million dollars of that just goes back to the municipality. So a third of all those room tax dollars goes back to the individual town in which the room tax dollars were collected, and they can spend that however they see fit. Some of them put it back into local tourism marketing or to their like their, their business association, like in Egg Harbor, it's the Egg Harbor Business Association or the Sister Bay Advancement Association. Some of them put it mostly toward either special projects or toward roads and things like that. So those dollars really do come back to, to help the local communities in addition to the 66% that goes to the Door County Visitor Bureau to market the county and keep those visitors coming in and keep that money coming in. Right. And that's $5 million that didn't exist just 12 years ago. Right. Kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, it is. And it definitely has an effect in terms of, you know, getting the word out and uh, and getting people up here. Yeah, it's funny. With how busy it is now, 
you talk to people and they say, oh, it's overcrowded. We need to stop marketing. We don't need so many people. And it's funny because 10, 12 years ago, it was just, I mean, people either don't remember this or, or weren't here yet. There were large community conversations and meetings and community meetings all over this county trying to figure out how we can improve tourism because it was, people were getting scared and people were, the tourism was dropping um, and people were really concerned about the future of the county. So to go from that to the much better problem of, all right, how do we moderate this? How do we like pull our foot off the gas? Maybe. I mean, that that's now that seems to be the question being asked, which is a much better question than um, how do I not get foreclosed on? Right. Okay. So one more thing. You were doing some research. I actually heard you on the phone talking about this the other day about uh, Gibraltar and their like e-learning program that they're they're setting up. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, um, Celeste has done uh, some some work on this, and you'll see an article from her in this week's issue about a proposal to institute e-learning days at Gibraltar School for everyone from uh, elementary school all the way up to high school. And what that is, is kind of, last year you had a ton of snow days in schools all across the county. I remember, if I recall correctly, every school had one entire week that they did, yeah. had school canceled. It was double digits, I think. I think that there was something like 11 yeah, or more. Some, yeah, some of them might have been ridiculous. So at the end of the year at Gibraltar, there was a debate about, all right, do we... Do we add days to the end of the school year? Do we make the teachers come in and teach extra days? Or even if we don't add days for the students, do we do we make the teachers come in and do extra work to make up those snow days? It actually caused quite a um, a stir at Gibraltar when they were having that debate. Do you know the specifics of why you'd even have that question? Because it's not just, like, as a one student, my thought was always like, well, why not just, you know, we, those are just days that we don't have to go to school. Why do you have to add days on to the end? The state mandates that you have a certain number of instructional days. That's what I thought. And so you have to meet that. So if Gibraltar generally has enough instructional days in their calendar built in that they don't have to make them up. And that, that was, I think, the case last year. But then there's also the question of, all right, we have, we have 180 days and we had 10 snow days. And that means we still paid our teachers for those snow days. Um, how do we get the value out of them? Do we make them come back in? Because, you know, that's, that's our, that's our employee cost. Um, so that's a little bit of what, uh, Gibraltar was trying to figure out. Of course, they were, they were talking about that. And a lot of these teachers were saying, Hey, well, I've already got family vacations planned. I'm going out of town. Like this is a pretty big thing to drop on us a couple of weeks before the end of the year when there was no notification or discussion of that earlier. So they ended up scuttling that plan. But one of the ways to try and get around running into that in the future is looking at how they could do remote learning days um, on snow days moving forward. What they've talked about doing is an e-learning day that would go from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. with an hour lunch break in the middle. And they've just tasked a lot of the, with the administration, the school board came up with this and tasked the administration and teachers with coming up with a proposal for how an e-learning day might look. So they would have some online courses. It would, it would all be taking place online, and maybe they'd have to watch a video and write a report or do things like that. And there was some controversy because parents right away saw this and thought, if it's a snow day, what are the odds my internet's going to be any good? <laughs> and, or if I work from home, I'm already using a lot of my, my bandwidth. Now I'm going to have po possibly two kids also on my internet. Right. Um, well, and I think that the biggest question is like, hey, I don't have internet, so how's my kid going to get up? Well, and there's a chunk of, I, the, the school surveyed their their families, and they got response 
from the 81% at parent-teacher conferences, and I think it came down to about 15 to 20% of their um, student body has unreliable or no internet at home. And then you also have that that remaining 20% that, that weren't at parent-teacher conferences, there's likely, likely to be more that don't have internet connectivity. So that's a problem for anyone in Door County. That would be a really big problem for this because then you say, all right, how do we make that equal if we're offering this education to the people who have internet, but then what about the ones who don't? And they've proposed having some sort of makeup time the following day. Admittedly, they've got to work that all out. I talked to a couple different school board members. They're like, this is not perfect. This is an idea. We're going to do a trial run. Hopefully they don't have to use it at all, but it could provide a basis moving forward for how they could try and catch students up who maybe missed time for sickness or are in a lot of extracurriculars where they're missing class time because the bus has to leave at one or noon to get to a game that's two and a half hours away or any other extracurriculars, or they've missed time because their family took a long vacation. So there's potential to kind of do an experiment and and form a baseline of how they could use this for a lot of different purposes. I think it's definitely good for the school to be looking into this and trying to figure this out because I went 12 years ago, I was doing taking online courses at UWGB. So it's, it's not new to try and do this, but that is an option. Where it gets messy is mandating it when not every family has the technology, the funds, the capability to do that. Because if you don't have internet, and you're, or let's say you're in a place that doesn't have the option to get internet, where it's going to be even more expensive to get internet, what, what are you asking that family to do that wasn't already in their budget? Right. So, well, and I think the other big thing about this, too, is it's not just about creating, like, this e-learning uh, thing where, like, you can log in and take classes and stuff, but it's more about creating that online structure. When I went to college, we used, I think, Moodle, was, and, and that's a really popular, like, online learning service okay. where teachers can upload their curriculum and then basically lay out the entire course online, so you always have that reference to go back in, and you can lock things away to, like, you know... The first week you've got week one unlocked and then you can go through and see everything that they're doing that week and you can read syllabuses, you can check out text, watch videos, do whatever, get assignments, answer quizzes, uh, take surveys, you can do all that stuff online. And it's really great when you're in a situation where you're doing like one class a week because then that class period can be used for discussion and then all of your homework and reading and watching videos and all that kind of stuff can take place on your own time throughout the week. Hmm. So setting up that background, like that that foundation to be able to provide things like that, I think that's maybe the more important thing. But that's where the, the internet conversation comes in, where it's like, that's a really great opportunity for students. It means that you can actually have more self-guided research and learning. You can use your class time more efficiently because you're not taking up class time to fill in worksheets or to show videos or stuff like that. You can do more hands-on learning, have more discussions in the classroom, and then leave that stuff for homework. And it's homework that you can get on and do on your own time online throughout the week. But if you've got a significant portion of the class that doesn't have internet up here, then you kind of run into those snags. Yeah, and there is talk about doing providing like hotspots to families if they don't have reliable internet. You know, for, for my money, if I'm the school, I wouldn't, even start a public conversation about this until having a comprehensive survey of every household that's in my school right now and finding out exactly what their internet is. Because even having asking someone, do you have reliable or unreliable? What it really should come down to is, are you on wired cable? Are you on satellite? Are you on broadband? Are you on frontier? Or are you relying on your phone? And it, once you get that data, 
then you can have much better judge of like, is this a realistic thing to do? Because I, I just wonder for families who, let's say you have two kids and you work from home and now your spouse maybe gets, uh, has to work from home too now on a, because it can't get out of the driveway or something. And now you're, you're looking at four or five people trying to get on. And if you're at, it sounds easy to say, all right, we're just going to have the kids watch a video. I have pretty good internet, but if I have my nieces and nephews in my house and they're all watching stuff on their phone or even two, I can't then also watch, <laughs> download a movie and watch it. Right. So there's a lot of hiccups in it. It's ultimately, it's a good thing to investigate. It is the future. And hopefully what it starts to do is make more people in the county go, we need to figure out this internet problem. We, yes. I mean, since we did that, that podcast about it a few weeks ago, I've gotten so many emails, phone calls, people stopping by who are running into similar problems, who are running into new problems with Frontier, who are losing tower service. And literally right before I came into this podcast booth, I found out that people in Clark Lake area are worried about a tower being decommissioned which would take internet away from that whole area. These are things that people are asking $1,000 questions about in their their budget. And it's hamstringing business. I'm on the board of an organization that's struggling to figure out how we're going to get internet to our offices. This is a, a bigger than, oh, let's have fun on the internet question. Right. This, is, this is education. This is business. This is day-to-day life. In addition to, can I stream that movie? Um, can I cut the cord on cable? Yeah, and it's all of those things that you need to take into consideration. I think the most compelling argument for me is the educational point of it. Because, uh, you know, as I said earlier, the main reason why you would want to move portions of your curriculum online is so that you free up more class time for more hands-on learning and discussions. That's really the most valuable time that you have in class is when you are interfacing one-on-one both with the teacher and with each other. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't make that time up if you're, you know, handing out worksheets or having them do packets or having them watch a video. That's time that you're taking away from that hands-on learning. So being able to move some of that stuff online frees that up in a lot of ways. And it really enhances the educational experience in the classroom. And, you know, as, as you're mentioning this, I'm, I'm realizing that now at, at 40 and so far removed, removed from high school and how, like, your knee jerk is like, every, like anybody, as you, once you're done with school, Whatever you had was good enough. <laughs> and when somebody said, we'll go at, we got to pay for this, and when you, when you say, well, we didn't have that, but schools are, are different. And I probably need to go back and, and watch a classroom. Or, you know, it might be good to get video of a classroom and see what that looks like now. I spoke in one um, for a sixth grade class at Gibraltar at the end of last year, and I was just kind of surprised. I'm like, wow, their technology is just such a integrated part of it. It's not, it's not like this challenge for the teachers. They're like, oh, here, plug your computer into this. And then here, you can just touch this board, and they have the smart boards, and that's how you control your presentations. And I'm thinking, wow, this sixth grade class um, would whoop my butt in any sort of technology competition. And that's that's where schools are at. That's where education is at. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and think about, like, my big thing with that is I remember going into a kindergarten classroom and seeing an iPad lab for the first time and being like, why do these kindergartners have iPads? But then when you think about it, it's like, well, what was I doing in, you know, the the lower grades? What was I doing in like fifth grade? And I remember like translucent pieces of gel paper that we would cut like geometric shapes out of and put together and like see how things lined up or playing with construction paper and doing all that kind of stuff. You can create those same experiences, but they can be much richer and more in depth and you can you can cram much more knowledge into 
uh, an app than you can actually physically doing something. Right. So you're you're creating experiences that are are much more enriching, and you're getting higher level thought into students at a younger age. So like what you said, you know, it was good enough when I was in it. Why isn't it good enough now? It's like well because we're we're moving forward and we're educating our children more and more. So like why why stifle that? Yeah. You never want to hold your kids back when it comes to their education. So the more you can invest in keeping them current and keeping them, you know, on the cutting edge of what's going on, the the better it is for everybody. I'd agree. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much. Happy Halloween. Uh, enjoy checking out healthcare today. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, I'm going to practice my impromptu ad reads for next week. I'll try to, sorry for all those who had to listen to that jumbled mess. No, that was fun. I think that we should definitely work that into our structure of, of <laughs> seamlessly flowing into our ad breaks yeah. from now on. That'll be fun. And you won't even know that we're talking about it, except for when Miles goes, yeah, so, well, let me tell you about this. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, have a good weekend, Miles, and I'll see you again next week. You too, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hello and welcome. Oh, God. That was much louder than I think you'd think it was. Uh, was that my uh, my fright for Halloween? Yeah, that's, that All covers right. it. Awesome. <clears throat>